Welcome to Leaders Upgraded, the place where people who want to upgrade and fast track their career, their life, and their leadership journey tend to gather. I am your host, Tanvi Gautam, and I shall be speaking to the top 10% of the world's leading authors, CEOs, and thinkers to bring you some of the best and brilliant ideas to fast track your way to success. Would you like an upgrade? Let's do this. We have, as usual, a very exciting guest on the show. But before I tell you who he is, let me tell you how I found him. So I was sitting across a table with one of the CEOs and we were doing some work on diversity. And I happened to say that as far as I'm concerned, diversity is an innovation metrics. And that we should hand over the whole diversity agenda to the innovation unit. He returned to me and said, wait, that's exactly what France said. And I said, who France? And how come he's stolen my idea? I said, you <laughs> haven't heard of France? The author of the Medici Fact. That was my first introduction. Amazing Franz Johansson, who's our guest today, who is the CEO and founder of the Medici Group, which is strategy consulting firm based in the United States. And he's also the author of his most recent book called The Click Moment, which we will be talking about today. But talk about serendipity and randomness coming together to make things possible. Welcome to the show, Franz. <laughs> Thank you. That's, that's, a, that's a great story. It is. And, and I, I remember when I reached out to you for an interview, I, I, I just sent a one line saying, randomness has brought me to your door. I'm knocking. Are you planning to open the door? And you did. So <laughs> <laughs> it got my attention yeah. uh, because I believe it. I believe that um, serendipity uh, is, uh, is a core to much of success. And we underestimate it or we, we don't like to talk about it because we don't feel that we can control it or we can do anything really with it. It's just something that happens to us, yeah. not something that we can encourage. Mm. Yeah. It's the opposite is true. True. And I wanted to start at the beginning because yeah. you, your book, The Click Effect, has got such interesting ideas that are absolutely vital to anybody who's planning to lead in the complex and ambiguous world that we are in. So let's begin by talking about this idea of success that you brought up, right? The idea of success is so attractive. We all want to be successful and an entire industry has sprung up around examining the lives of successful people and what paths and patterns did they follow to become successful. We want to send our kids to the same school that they went to we want to follow the ten thousands of us to become masters of our you know craft and all of that and you know the world is chugging along just fine till uh, Franz Johansson comes along and says hold it right there following a formula for success can be hugely counterproductive could you care to explain why you say that so absolutely right this notion of the, you mentioned the 10,000 hour rule, you know, popularized by Mac and Gladwell in Outliers, but it's the concept that's been around for a very long time. It's this notion of deep expertise. It's the notion that if you can focus and you can become really, really good at what you're doing, then that is what's going to drive success. And you often find stories related to it. What's interesting about the 10,000 hour rule that I found was that, and there's a number of books and studies that sort of supported this notion, is that they all tend to cluster around roughly similar type of work. You see athletes around this. You see composers. You know, you have, I'll talk about Serena Williams as a tennis player. 
she's absolutely amazing. You could talk about Yo-Yo Ma in classical music, same thing there. And, and there's a reason why this works within that particular world. It is because the rules that they play by basically never or rarely change. The rules of tennis has remained the same for maybe 100 years. So, and, and the changes, whatever they happen, are very slight. So Serena knows exactly, exactly what she needs to do to be successful. She just has to do it better than everybody else. But it's not like she's going to go out there and start playing a game of tennis with a, with a baseball bat. It, 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 it is clear and established. And that's true for the rest of us. For the rest of us, the rules of the game are changing constantly. And that means that the even definition of what it means to be an expert ended. Mm. And that means that if you can't necessarily predict what is going to be, what is sort of going to enable you to be an expert in the future, you are exposed to serendipitous forces. And, and this sort of becomes, becomes a, a, a core piece around understanding what leadership means, how you, how you think about incorporating, say, your, into your career, and into sort of driving your your organization. Yeah, you know. So what you said, what you were saying in the book was that it's not that skill sets are irrelevant. Skill sets do matter right. to focus our time and our effort. But the success equation goes beyond the element of skill set. You know, I I am forgetting the name, but even even while you were bringing up the example of ten, that tennis player, goodness. Tennis fans who are listening to this podcast will come after me when I say this. But there was uh, the, there was a member of the audience who jumped onto the court and stabbed her. All right, I'm it's slipping my mind too now. Um, Put it in the show notes. Don't worry about it. That talk talk about randomness. I mean, she practiced the ten thousand hours, and yet there was that random event that threw her off the trajectory of success. So, yeah, skills, you know, are useful. They're great to have. They need to be focused. But success takes something else. And in my experience, when I'm working with leaders in organizations, I find they are brilliant people, fantastic at doing their part so well. But the world in which they gain those expertise is far gone. Here's the thing, which it was, I got the name, that's Monica Sellers. Yeah. That's the stab. But here's the thing about that. We want some sort of formula to follow. And it's a story that I did not incorporate into Click Moment that I can share with you now mm. that, that sort of highlighted this to me in, 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 in brilliant fashion. I, I, I was looking for, one of the examples I was looking for, kids trying to get into, you know, top colleges and universities around the world. And, and, uh, and, I, and I ended up having a chance to meet and, 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 and talk to a, a young woman. She was maybe 13, I think, from China. 1314, she states, long trip, and she's interviewing lots of people in various fields on how they had sort of ended up in the career they had, why, why they'd chosen the career they had, and putting it together into a book. I mean, it was absolutely amazing. I was blown away by this, right? So I had to meet her, and we sat, and we talked quite a bit about this. She, she had interviewed bankers, she had interviewed artists, she had interviewed firemen, a, a whole range of people. So I'm listening to this, and I, and 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 then I ask, you know, well, why are you doing this, and what is what is driving this? And it turns out right that she's thinking about setting herself up really to put together a stellar application to Harvard, and Harvard is 
was really the only school she could she could imagine going to. Mm. Okay, I'm like, wow, high performance pushing, but look what she's doing. This is amazing. Now later that week, completely serendipitously, by the way, I ended up having a conversation with a one of these consultants that help students get into high end, you know, the top top tier colleges and Ivy Leagues and so on. And I said, well, what are some of the trends that you're seeing right now? Well, you know, I'll tell you something weird that I'm seeing. I'm seeing a, a, a lot of applicants from, from China that have traveled around the world interviewing people about their careers. Hmm. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. I just met somebody like that. Yeah. And, and, they, and, and she was saying, this consultant was saying, well, there's a ton of them. I mean, none of them are going to get accepted because they just all have the same story. Yeah. And then I backtracked and I realized there was a book that had come out in China talking about how I got my daughter into Harvard. <laughs> and in it, one of the things that her daughter had done was done, done this. So now everybody was doing that, which meant that it's not really going to give an edge to anybody that is applying to Harvard because there's just all these applications that are saying the same thing. And this is a microcosm of what's happening in the world at large today. We're looking at well, what is the successful app? Well, I need to do an app like that. Well, now there's 40, 50, 100 apps that do that. Mm. Well, what are the chances you're going to break out? Limited. You have to do something different. And by necessity, that means that you're not exactly sure what's going to work, which means you're exposed to some unexpected side. Mm. And every single time you then try to trace back the story, people want to create a storyline. They want to show how there was a moment of insight, and that moment of insight drove this decision, which drove that decision, mm. and here we are at success. But we rarely, rarely trace back to the origins of that story. And that is why when we hear of YouTube, we think, oh, well, that was brilliant, right? You created a video sharing site, and that was sort of the casting the trend. And it turns out that's not true. YouTube started out as a dating site, mm. and it was a horrible idea as a dating site. You know, you upload your video, <laughs> then people vote where they want to date you. Okay, mm. bad idea. But, but then, you know, because they had another moment of insight, some of the finalists went to dinner, they filmed this dinner, and they had no way to share that, that movie. They said, well, maybe we can do it with our software. That turned into YouTube, and of course, YouTube became a huge success. That's really how these storylines happen. And, and, and we should be open to it in our own lives. Yeah. You know, there is, just given my own background in, you know, with psychology and human behavior and et cetera, I saw a very strong underlying theme in your book, which was around this immense need we have as human beings for sense making. Or seeing patterns where none exist. We have to try and bring things down to a level where we can grasp them. And your book does such an amazing job of, of just drawing attention to the fact with stories and case studies and all of that on how, you know, randomness and serendipity and luck, you know, are, are all part of the conversation. And, and at one point in the book, you say that you want to bring the randomness and serendipity into the heart of execution and strategy. And the moment uh, somebody reads that line, the first thought in, the, in one's head is, isn't strategy about bulletproofing us to success? So how are you even talking about bringing, you know, randomness and serendipity to strategy and execution? Is that something that is even possible? Uh, so it is absolutely possible. In fact, with my, with my firm, the Medici Group, that is how we, you know, we're working with some of the top companies around the world, exactly this. And what they've noticed, and this is, you know, if you talk to most CEOs, they will admit to this, perhaps not publicly, but they all know that 
that strategy is something that you sort of used to explain why you were successful. <laughs> <laughs> now, look, when I say this, the point I also make in the book is actually that strategy is incredibly useful. And here's why. This is the reason why strategy is useful. It is useful because it enables us to act. We're able to coordinate activity. We mm -hmm. pick a direction and we push in that direction and we can sort of get people to sign on with that. And, and so there's this a whole coordination piece that is required to get anything done. And in order to do that, you need to have picked the direction. The point I'm making is that that direction is most likely wrong, off, for reasons that you don't even necessarily know. Mm -hmm. that's, on the, that's on the one hand. At, at the same time, while you're executing in that direction, the truth, the, 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 well, you probably chose that direction as a result of some rational analysis, which means that other people have arrived at similar decisions which means that you're heading into a very competitive area. Okay, now that suggests that whatever you're doing, whatever you've planned out, is not going to be necessarily the thing that's going to make you stand apart. Okay, then the question becomes, what is? Yeah. And here is where you can encourage serendipity. You can encourage the notion of experimentation. You can encourage the notion of looking for surprises. And I say that surprise is a leading indicator of success. Mm. And what do I mean by that? What I mean is something has happened that surprises you. If a result has occurred that surprises you, pay attention because it suggests that something has happened that you hadn't planned out. Because if you had planned it, you would have been surprised. Mm. And that surprise suggests you may have hit upon something that was not available to rational analysis, that is not something your competitors are focused on, that might be a secret that you could exploit, and you could even build an extensive enterprise around it. And I'll give you an example, right? Fire, uh, in the 80s was the mid-sized sort of US-based pharma company. And they, they were working on this heart drug and it wasn't very good, okay? Now, but despite the fact that it wasn't very good, many of the test subjects kept on asking for more of it. Mm. We're surprised, sir, and they said, well, well, why do you want more of this drug? And this is particularly true for the guys, mm. by the way. And so when they, when they investigated it, they realized that this drug had a curious side effect. Now, what they could have chosen to do was this. They could have chosen to say, that's interesting, but we're focused on the heart drug. Let's get back and focus on that. But they didn't. They said, this surprises us. We hit upon something that, was, that the rest of the world hasn't even realized just yet. Why don't we focus on that? And of course, that drug became Viagra, which is one of the best-selling drugs of all time. Mm -hmm. It enabled Pfizer to become one of the largest companies in the pharma companies in the world. Mm -hmm. Now, this happens all the time. The YouTube story is the same thing. Even things that we believe had to have been ingrained in the creator's mind it turns out that way, right? When, when George Lucas wrote Star Wars, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, <laughs> Kenobi doesn't die. Right? He makes his decision halfway through the filming that he, that he should die. And that's when he comes up with this notion, he comes back as a, as a ghost and says, may the force be with you into Luke's mind. This is such an ingrained part of Star Wars universe that we think it had to have been designed from the very beginning. No, this is a surprising insight and he runs with it. This is how we should be thinking about our opportunities, incorporating them into strategy. We pick a direction, we move, but we encourage, we encourage so mm. we encourage serendipitous insight. And when it happens, pay attention to it. And if we like it, we go for it. That becomes actually the direction that's going to make us stand apart. Right. So let me ask you a surprising question, which I hadn't planned for the podcast, but I must ask it now, which is, yeah. have your professors at the Harvard Business School read your book? <laughs> 
And what do they have to say about the book? Because, you know, I'm a part of uh, the management education field myself. And we are um, preparing those with these, you know, formulas in some senses or on a pattern of predictability, which doesn't exist. And that was part of the reason for Genesis of this podcast to begin with. But explains your background, kind of school that you went to, which brilliant as it might be, is still very traditional in, in you know the traditional sense of the word. And you come out of it and you are talking serendipity and random and click moments. What was going on there? <laughs> Great question. Well, first of all, I do know that professors of mine have, former professors of mine have read the book. Uh, and I also believe that it's, indi- it's uh, the click moment in particular, but, in, but, even the, but also the Medici effect. But they, they are highlighting a, a major hole, a major gap, a major sort of problem with current management education. Mm. Current management education does not reflect we live in right now mm-hmm. it reflects this notion of very large established companies mm-hmm. and and sort of st- stable conditions mm-hmm. but equilibrium and 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 sort of has this tradition in, in economics right where, where 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 the world actually is in equilibrium it reaches equilibrium and then it sits there until maybe there's a shock to the system but in fact that's not that's not how the world works at all yeah. the world is constantly in shock if you will mm-hmm. And an enterprise may be able to capitalize on initial advantage for a while. You know, it could be a Facebook that has network effects and is able to grow around that or a brand that becomes very strong. But they have to do so in the face of constantly shifting conditions. Mm. Now, why am I, why did, why did this appeal to me? Mm. That it's a, it was a two-step dance, if you will. The first piece was, was these ideas that end up in the Medici effect, which, which said that uh, the, the intersections of different cultures and fields and industries are, are powerful sources of innovation. They're, they're a best chance of breaking new ground. And I, I'd seen that in my life from the very beginning. I, I grew up in, in Sweden. My mom, is she's, she's black and Cherokee. My dad is Swedish. So I had, it, was, it was a mix of, of, of countries, of cultures, of ethnicities. And I could see the power of understanding how to leverage those differences. Mm. And, and, and that played out in how I started my first company and I started my, uh, and I had my second company, I started a magazine, all these involved intersections. Mm. And that was what enabled me to write the book, The Medici Effect. And in that book, I state two things. One is that these combinations of differences are powerful, but also that you can't necessarily predict which combinations are powerful. Mm. The second part, the randomness, I, didn't really have the into dig into as much with the Medici effect. That became the focus of the second book. And here's what happened. I discovered that when I wrote the Medici effect, I thought that the, the core of this, the core of my audience was going to be scientists. Interdisciplinary science is hot for this. Well, that turned out not to be true. It turned out to be corporations. Well, then I said, okay, it was going to be innov- heads of innovation. It's going to be heads of, of, of strategy. But it turned out that the entry point I had into companies were actually chief diversity officers. Mm. And that was completely unexpected. My wife was a, a work at diversity, J.P. Morgan Chase, and she said, you know, I think we're interested in this. Well, within weeks, I was meeting with the head of, of J.P. Morgan. And now, all of a sudden, I was talking to heads of strategy and heads of innovation. But it, the gateway came through diversity. And that turned out to be true over and over again. I knew it was a sort of this a serendipitous conversation I had with my wife. Mm. Mm. And I said, well, wait a minute, if that is true in my case, 
what if that's true over and over again? What if everything that we attribute to brilliant strategy, when you dig underneath it, when you dig into it, actually has much more serendipitous explanations? And guess what? It does. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite stories in the quick moment is Microsoft and how they grew to such prominence based on Windows 3.0. Well, they were going to shut down Windows 3.0. The only reason it survived was because of this unexpected conversation between two people at a party that happened, you know, 18 months before it was released. Mm -hmm. And that revived the whole Windows. And uh, before that, they were going to part over IBM and do this operating system called OS2. Well, I found these stories over and over and over again. And that is why I said, I'd have to tackle this on. But to your point, I believe that management business schools make a much bigger point of this and they need to find the tools and ways to, to communicate this to students. And that's, what, that's of course what we're developing within the medicine group. But that to me is the future of this type of education. Yep. And that's exactly the point of the leadership podcast as well. I'm curious, you know, Franz, you uh, tend to work with companies across the globe. Do you find that this yeah, of incorporating randomness and serendipity and luck, etc., is likely accepted more in the Eastern ethos, more easily, I would say, in the Eastern ethos than it is in the Western ethos? Have you noticed any difference? Great question. And I would say on the face of it, yes. Okay. So so there was a uh, professor that um, contacted me from a, from a university in China, and he was pointing out that, you know, you look at Confucianism, you look at Taoism, you look at many of these aspects, this, this whole idea of a, an entirely sort of logical or rational approach to arrive at a, at a conclusion as to your best course of action is, is not really in there, at least not in that way. Mm -hmm. Instead, it is, it, is, it is something different, right? And the thing that he told me was he couldn't believe, actually what he said was he couldn't believe that, a, that somebody from the West had written the click moment, <laughs> which, I, which I found, you know, surprising. Because the thing is, if you, and here's, the, here's what's the challenge when I wrote that book. And when I, when I work with companies, because most, our vast majority of clients are, are Western companies. Yeah. And that is this. I realized that I had to create a, what I call a bit of a magic trick. Because what I had to do was logically explain the limits of logic. And it's sort of like a cat that bites his own tail or a snake that bites his own tail, is may seem. But actually, this is, this is what has enabled company, Western companies to respond. They say, intuitively, I know what you're saying is right. Intuitively, I know that when I look at my own career path, it's turned out this way. And I'll tell you an interesting story about that in a second. But how do I grapple with it? And so in order to answer that question, I've, I've had to very logically explain that of using a rational approach. Very rationally explain that of using a rational approach. And when we end up at that point, it then, it then becomes clear that there are approaches you can take. Right? So I encourage intersections. I encourage the fact that people should connect from diverse backgrounds. Um, well, it is because the insights that you have from those will be better, but also unexpected. Mm. Aha, that's the way I can think about quick moments. Yes, I just the notion of placing bets. Mm. Why? Because by, by thinking of it as a bet as, or an experiment, you, you are actually consciously incorporating an, a randomness into the equation, right? Mm -hmm. You're saying, when you say that Picasso made 50,000 works of art, which he did in his lifetime, and you also acknowledge that most of those works of art were complete crap. What you're acknowledging is that Picasso were playing to some degree. Yes, he was skilled. 
but many people are skilled, okay? And they will sort of just come up with me two type of paintings. Hasso will bring to experiment. Occasionally he would come up with stuff that was just stunned the world. Mm. But in order to get to that point, he had to have many failures. Well, okay, I can see that. And I can see, they will say, how I can incorporate this notion of, of the unexpected in, into how we think about strategy. And this is also true for personal careers. I was talking to a, to a, uh, a business school professor, and she was telling me that when it came to sort of discussing how to become a business school professor at, at a leading, at one of these top, top business schools, there's all kinds of advice one can give. And they're sort of based off in, you know, like, well, you should do this. There's, there's these things. And one can sort of give a, a, a plot out a pathway for somebody. But then I asked, well, how did you become a business professor? And oh, well, in my case, it wasn't that way, right? I, <laughs> I started out as, as doing this thing. And then I got an opportunity for like a, three days to teach at, at, at Harvard Business School. And I did it. And someone actually stopped by and saw me do it. And they said, well, wait a minute. This is great. We don't actually even cover this area. And so why don't you do that? And then I ended up staying and, and, and one thing led to another and here I am. Mm. In other words, when people ask us for advice on how to end up where we did, we try to structure it. Mm. But when then we then examine how we ended up where we did, it turns out that there's a lot of unexpectedness, a lot of serendipitous notions that are part of it. Mm. And, and, and somehow we miss out incorporating that into our explanation and yet the very center it is at the very heart of how we ended up where we did. Yeah. And, you know, I would encourage the listeners to pay particular attention to this idea of purposeful bets that you brought up, which is in some senses, it sounded to me like lack of a better word, purposeful and intelligent risk taking and, and, and investing in these practices that try to load the dice in your favor in in. Yeah senses. And I wanted you to share this one story, because I think this is an example that, that people will track to easily, which was about the success of Angry Birds, right? right? And and how it would look like this carefully crafted strategy of having risen to where it was, but it was actually some purposeful bet. So yes, there is randomness and serendipity, but it is not exactly, well, why didn't I just sit here and wait for somebody to call me to get this done? Because it's all serendipity anyway. So, you know, things will, no, you have the, the element of agency not be discounted because you are acknowledging randomness as a variable in success. Look, the, the story of Angry Birds makes this case brilliantly, okay? Now, now because the, actually agency is core to it because what I'm saying is that action beats analysis and action implies agency, okay? And that means that you are moving, but you're aware of that not necessarily moving in the right direction but it is important to move. And Angerberg is a perfect example of this. Any, any way that you look at the story, you will, could arrive at the conclusion that this is a perfect example of a carefully crafted strategy. And it has brilliant people behind it. They design an amazing game. It is addictive. Then they market it perfectly. They start, I think it's in the Czech Republic. It's mm. very easy to make. Well, at that time anyway, it was easy to make. It probably has a smaller population. So making it the number one app there is easier. And they did. Once it was number one in the Czech Republic, they turned to London, made it number one there. Once they had done that in the UK, they turned to the United States. It was fantastic. Brilliant, right? Mm. Well, if they were that brilliant, did they wait eight years to do it? Because this was their 52nd game. Rovio is the name of this Finnish company. Mm. And 
you haven't heard of the other 51. Mm. I guarantee you that anybody who's listening to this podcast, if they tried something 52 times, they would have a great shot at breakout success as well. Mm. And this is the point. <laughs> yes. Once you have it, you will find explanations for it. And everybody's begging for the explanation for it. And you will even say that it was purposeful because it was. But it is purposeful in the sense that you're taking action, you're executing in, in dramatic fashion, but you're aware of that it might not work and that actually you have to be open to the unexpected insights or, or, or results to it. And, 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 and that, is, that becomes the core. Everything we do in my firm is, has strong agency behind it, has strong action. We do it with purposeful intent, but we're always aware of that, A, we should be trying something that is not the result of a sort of a rational analysis anyway. So even if it has a part of that, we need to introduce unexpected element to it because that's what we're going to discover. That's like sort of new market discovery. We're going to discover something that the world doesn't know yet. Mm. And, and so by definition, if you're going to discover something the world doesn't know yet, well, you have to head into that unknown, which means that uh, serendipity is a piece of the equation. We're constantly trying new things. We're trying new things internally with ourselves. We're trying new things with our clients. We're trying new things in pushing a breakthrough. And that's why we have a great rate of success at it, because we know that by, by putting ourselves out there, we will, actually, we will actually discover these things. If you believe that you're going to discover these things through just straight basically this notion of a straightforward logical approach where you sort of run the numbers and you arrive at the conclusion, I think mostly you're fooling yourself because you're going to arrive at the same place everybody else is. And we see it constantly with our clients. That's why they come to us and say, look, okay, we tried this, we tried that, and here we are. We're still sort of fighting to break through. We're still trying to stand apart, stand out. Well, why? Because you end up doing roughly the same thing everybody else is. Mm. Yeah, you're right. So we have to do something different. Yeah. Well, uh, it's It's been interesting to me that because my son is such an Angry Bird fan, that's how I happen to know about it, uh, yes. that, that now that the game is a hit, we are doing Birds in Space, we are doing oh. Angry Birds Star Wars, yes. we are just taking these limited variations of the game. So it's not like they're coming up with the next version of, you know, the angry chickens or the angry, they, they could use your help is all I'm saying right now. <laughs> so. Well, so look, there's two points to that. So to be clear, one of the things, the last point I make in the click moment is that, is that once you discover something that works, you have to double down on it, right? right? So this is becomes both the glory and the bane of a company. You sh they should absolutely do that, right? Keep, Keep riding that train for as long as it works, but be aware of that it is, one, it's going to end at some point. And, but before it's done that, they need to discover the next thing. And so they need, they need to keep experimenting to develop other, other sources of revenue, if you will, other, other insights. I have no problem with the fact that one is trying to, once one hits, str struck gold, that one, is, one, one sort of doubles down on it like Angry Birds backpacks and everything else. Mm. And, and great, okay, they can do that. And as an enterprise, as a corporation, devote efforts to doing so. What I'm, what I'm saying is that be aware of that everybody's still trying to take a, a bite out of you. Mm. And sooner or later, right, when you sort of start running out of your course, if you haven't developed something else, then you, you're out. And you find some of this with, you know, if you look at successful companies, they almost always start around one very specific product 
specific service that have gained a strong brand or network effect. Google still makes the vast majority of their money around AdWords. Mm. And, and, and even though they're doing all these other things, and, and some of them are really getting some serious traction, good, which is good for them, right? So they, they are aware of that, there is, that they have to do have other sources of revenue. Because at some point, that may all play out. Mm. That's, why, that's why they're so frenetic in actually trying to find other sources of revenue. Microsoft, I mean, the Windows is still going to carry them for many years forward, the Windows platform. But we're already seeing the decline of it at this point. Yeah. So, yes, I don't mind doubling down, but I do think that I become myopic doing that. And in fact, that's when people usually bring us in. Right. <laughs> so as we are kind of drawing to the close of this podcast, I have two quick questions for you. The first question is, who could afford to fail 51 times? So they were trying to break into a market. They didn't have to go back to their CEOs and make a presentation on what were the results this quarter. So yes. what's your advice to people who are sitting inside corporations listening, saying, listen, this is all very well. But when you're working in a traditional setup, how are you able to be you know, surviving and innovating in, around being innovative around what you're trying to do when they are imposing the kind of constraints such as what are the results this quarter? Any strategies there? Yes, the short story here is that the reason why uh, CEOs or, or, or senior executives hesitate to sort of take these chances because they, they feel much is at risk. Either the money that they invest in it or the reputation that they have to put behind it. They'll feel very differently about it if, they, if you can show success. So when we work with companies and we work with well over a thousand teams, here's what we do. We encourage individuals or teams to actually, with a very limited amount of resources, try to develop a prototype or get some traction one way or another. So instead of coming and giving a brilliant PowerPoint presentation on the possibilities of this idea and that they need a million dollars to do it, they should actually come with some results in hand. And that makes it much easier for an executive to make a, to do it, to sort of to lay down a yes decision and say, let's try this. Mm. Come with the results first. Mm. And then the discussion completely changes. Yeah. That's what we found. Yeah. That's great advice. And the final question. If you could wake up tomorrow morning and change one thing about leaders around the world that would make them more innovative and that would allow them to thrive and not just survive in the environment that we are living in, what would that thing be and why? I think that the core piece around this is still this notion of diversity. It is still this idea that if you expose yourself to, to concepts, ideas, people, organizations, industries different from yourself, it means that you will accomplish something at once. You will have exposed yourself to unexpected insights. Okay? Mm-hmm. You will expose yourself to this, this full combinations that could actually unleash new innovations for you in your career or for your for your, for your company organization mm. as a leader. And so it drives the whole edifice of this, right? It, 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 is, it is this notion that diversity drives innovation and because, because it actually drives serendipitous and unexpected encounters and insights. So to those listening to this, make sure that you find inspiration from fields and cultures other than your own and then when you find something that connects with you, you explore those connections. 
Mm, fantastic. Thanks so much, Franz, for spending time with us. There is so much to learn. We have not even begun scratch surface of the amazing insights you have in that book. It's it's a book that I have been carrying with me for the past few weeks, and I very, very highly recommend it. Fantastic. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. That concludes this episode of Leaders Upgraded. But wait, your journey is just getting started. Go to www.leadersupgraded.com for more insights, more inspiration, more tools to continue the journey. And... If you have someone who you would like to nominate for the podcast or a particular topic you'd like us to cover, then also visit www.leadersupgraded.com as now. If you like this episode, please do share it. Please do subscribe to the podcast. And I look forward to continued upgrades with you. Take care.